0: Welcome to the State of the Lakers post-game show on Dash Radio. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out with Raj and I. Um, I am so glad that the Lakers at least showed some fight there in that second half. Because as Raj and I always complain about, it's just so hard to learn anything about the team, about the scheme, about the lineups, about the players when they aren't playing hard, when they're mailing it in. And it kind of looked like it was headed in that direction as another one of those nights where the Lakers just were going to get outclassed in every facet of the game from a give-a-shit standpoint. And uh, obviously, they started to show some fight, and we got to learn some interesting stuff. Um, but first of all, Raj, how you doing, man? I hope uh, you're having a good week so far, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to the bottom of some stuff tonight.
1: Yeah, so, like, full disclosure, disclosure I was dropping uh, my mom off at LAX, and it's an international flight, so I was just staying, staying there. And I peeked at the score, and we were down, like, 20 uh, already, I think with what like five minutes gone, so I'm going to need you to kind of fill me in on that part. I walked in uh, around the third quarter, I think like eight or nine minutes uh, still left in the third quarter. But walk me through what what the hell happened to start? Was it the starters? Was it Avery Bradley, DeAndre Jordan, just not fitting? Uh, did Russ turn it on? Kind of. I know he had 18 in the third. Was there some aggression showing? So fill me in there, so I kind of have a. It's weird. I'm looking at an incomplete game. To me, like, the Lakers were in a close game the whole time. Like, I started from the third, and it was like a three-point game or something. <laughs> so, for me, I saw a good game. I don't know about you guys. Well, you, but I saw a pretty good game. You should be but, thank, uh, yeah. you
0: should be thankful that you missed the beginning. I mean, so I thought the story at the beginning of the game was transition defense. And, you know, there's kind of two – there's two parts to that because um, part of transition defense has to do with, like, your overall foot speed as a lineup, right? So, when you go with Anthony Davis, who – you know, as we've frequently talked about, Anthony Davis's strengths as a as a as a basketball player primarily have to do with his size and length, in conjunction with his defensive instincts and his uh, skill set. You know, his his ability to be uh, more coordinated and 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 you know uh, his ability to do things offensively that most bigs are or don't have the touch or the basketball IQ to be able to do. The truth of the matter is, is he's not overly fast in like a linear, you know, just running wind sprints up and down the floor. And then obviously when you run that in conjunction with Deandre Jordan, who's flat out slow, you can have a situation where the overall foot speed of the lineup is, uh, is problematic. And obviously the Knicks were just running up and down the floor and shooting the lights out and getting anything they wanted. But, you know, there are, there are dead giveaways to me that associate transition defense with effort. And a good example of that is like, for instance, there was a play, you know, there were several plays early in the game where the trailer was wide open. If the trailer is wide open, that's an example of guys not running back. Because tra- typically in transition defense, you, you sprint, all five guys sprint, try to get a foot in the paint, and then from there they spread out to shooters. And so if you get to the rim and you take away whatever the easy run out is, and there's only four guys there, or there's only three guys there, then naturally there's going to be somebody trailing the play who's wide open, and, and the, like, uh, the Knicks got a lot of really good three-point looks out of that. There's another play in the second quarter, early in the second quarter, when, when the wheels were really coming off, where uh, Dwight Howard was guarding New Orleans Noel, and New Orleans Noel was jogging down the floor, and Obi Toppin got wide open on the back end for a like a half-court lob, and he ended up dunking on like Wayne Ellington. And Wayne Ellington jumped up and tried to knock it free and Obi Thompson just kind of dunked over the top. If you're like, if the big man runs back and puts a foot in the paint, and he turns around and he looks and he sees Nerlens Noel, and he thinks he's good, but the other guards and forwards in the lineup are just simply not running back. That's laziness. That's not lineups. That's not personnel. That's laziness. And then the other big part of it was rim pressure. The game turned around. You know, we talk all the time. The the, the you can't just ask someone to drive to the basket every single time because it's too fatiguing. It's not realistic Mm -hmm. to ask an athlete to put in the physical labor it takes to drive to the basket every time. That said, there needs to be a certain amount of balance there. You need to at least attempt to frequently put pressure on the rim or your shot quality will go to hell really fast. And in the late second quarter and progressing through the rest of the second half, both Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis – put a great deal of rim pressure actually made a concerted effort concerted effort to get to the basket and the Lakers started getting good shot quality they started making shots which allowed them to set their defense which allowed them to get stops which allowed them to get out in transition it's that same you know snowball effect that i always talk about it's the thing that defines laker basketball getting stops getting out in transition and getting easy shots and that all that all starts with them being able to put pressure on the rim, which is the the, the the biggest strength of this lineup. And early in the game, they were simply not making that concerted effort. And so those two things to me, the transition defense and the lack of rim pressure are clear indicators of poor effort. And it's confusing to me because this is back-to-back games now where the Lakers have shown a lot of fight when they got down big. But mm-hmm. but them coming into the game this lackadaisical, them coming into the game without belief in their system is, is to me another indictment of the coach. And I think guys finally kicking it into gear and finally starting to put their foot on the gas and attempt to, to fight back and win the game is more indicative of just competitive nature. You're in a game, you're getting your butt kicked, guys on the other team are talking trash to you, they're playing up to the crowd, the crowd's yelling at you, finally your competitive nature will kick in and you'll fight back. And I think that's what we saw in both games, but them coming out the gate without that to me continues that trend, that theme that I've been preaching about for the last week, which is I don't think this group is bought into the coaching staff. And I don't, I don't think they believe in what they're doing, which is problematic. And obviously there's a bunch of other stuff that we are going to get into, like that you saw in the third quarter and the fourth quarter having to do with problems with the zone and having to do with Emmanuel quickly getting going but that was the story at mm-hmm. the beginning of the game. The story at the beginning of the game was no rim pressure and no transition defense.
1: Yeah, this is another game where when I looked at the score kind of at the end of the first quarter, I thought like this is a game maybe Vogel's just fired after this one, lose by 30 to a Knicks team that's down, I think, Derek Rose and and someone else. I was thinking about it, though. Like we talk a lot about scheme and scheme combined with effort and that stuff you have to get to, but you can't get to scheme without effort, right? Like, and like in analogy, I was kind of thinking of, it's like, when you start to, like, a long time ago when I was starting to work out, go to the gym, you do all this research, right? You're like, oh, what's the best workout to do? What's the best, like, meal plan to do? And I read something that, like, stuck with me. Uh, I forgot where it was from. This was before, like, you know, it was like a billion-dollar business now. You have all these influencers who are fitness influencers and stuff. But I saw, like, a quote that really stuck with me. It goes, the best workout is the one you'll actually do, right? Like And the best, like, <laughs> meal plan. That, and the best meal, the best meal plan is the one you actually stick to, right? And there's all these extremes, and that's kind of how I'm seeing this team as well. I think we're better as a switching team, uh, but again, the effort—if the effort's not there—I thought I saw DeAndre Jordan, and Avery Bradley again getting killed, and I'm sure that's again the drop coverage. I don't like that on Manuel quickly, but again, that's an—you can't get to scheme without effort. And I think you're right. This team is really coming out lackadaisical, and it's been clear in my position. I'm not on the fire Vogel because I think. That solves maybe some issues. I feel like that's a short term solution to a bigger issue this team has. But if that's the only way they'll wake up, like to me, firing Vogel is the same thing. I keep comparing it to like taking DeAndre Jordan out of the starting lineup. Like that helps, but that that's a band aid. That's something that has other unintended cons- consequences. But maybe the team's just there. Uh, I, I didn't get to watch the first half. I don't know how ugly or how bad that effort was um but yeah that's kind of my thing here you can't even get to you can just just go ahead and make (laughs) a mental
0: note that it was really bad and then move (laughs) forward from there yeah
1: i i I figured yeah again and again russ picked it up in the third quarter um i got to see that i would like to see that a little bit more in the first quarter i know it's tough with the two big lineup but 18 points of his 24 i think at the time uh was in the third so uh, let me know like how did russ pick it up did it start a little bit in the second quarter a little bit uh ending that ending that half or or did was it just a third quarter kind of push by him because i saw we were down 12 at halftime which to me a guy who didn't watch the game thought oh that's not too bad but obviously they were down like i think 20 by it like was like it
0: was late, it was like second quarter but mm-hmm. so that was just you know so they got down uh i can't remember exactly how much it was off the top of my head but they were down 25 ish mm-hmm. right around there and yeah, like i said there's a there's a you can only sit there and and watch your team get railed without You know, it's one thing if you're the Orlando Magic and you're going into Milwaukee and Milwaukee just has better guys than you. And when they're trying, there's nothing you can do to stop them. That's that's a completely different vibe. It's different when you're Carmelo Anthony and you're Wayne Ellington and you're, you know, Anthony Davis and you're Russell Westbrook. And, you know, you're good, arguably better than the guy across from you. And he's whooping your ass up and down the floor. At that point, something is going to kick into your competitive nature and and you're going to start to see some fight. And that's what you saw. And again, it all just like, it it all started, in my opinion, with rim pressure. And obviously, anytime you score a basket, it makes you feel better about yourself. It makes you a little bit more willing to do the dirty work. Um, But so getting into the the, uh, part of the game, because for the record, guys, we're not going to dwell too much on the Frank Vogel thing. We got into that really deep on the Sunday pod. So for those of you who want to hear our take on the Frank Vogel situation, I'm pro firing Frank Raj is pro keeping him go to uh, my Twitter feed and scroll down to Raj's Twitter feed. You'll find a link to the show or just go on any of your podcasts uh, feeds and search for state of the Lakers and listen to our last episode. We do a real deep dive into Frank, what it would look like to get rid of him. The reason why I think it would work. And the reason why Raj thinks we should keep him. Uh, but diving into what was problem because once they started trying there were a couple of things that that stood out to me because i think this is a team too and the reason why is because they're lazy on defense okay however you know when they do buy in when it does try they are capable of doing a certain amount of work on the defense so if you ask them to do an extremely difficult job which is frank's original defensive scheme which is a drop coverage which requires guards to fight over the top of screen. He, he, he really, really wants the guard and the big to be able to shut down the action through back pressure from the guard chasing over the top and the big man kind of disrupting things at the point of attack while also keeping enough distance to where he can deter the lob and deter the rim. So from that standpoint, that job is extremely difficult and most of these guards can't do it. And so they don't believe in it. And so they don't do the work. So that coverage doesn't work. And so you have these other two defenses that Frank has been going to, which is switching, which takes the physical labor of defense and turns it into a mental labor instead of having to chase over the top or, or or run or be physical and, and, and do all the dirty work. It's a mental job. All you have to do is communicate and pay attention you're paying attention to what's happening around you, you see screens coming, you see where they're coming from, you see who it is, you talk to the other defender, you you plan a switch, you talk a switch, you make a switch, you're good. That's an easier job, so the guys are more willing to do it. And then you have the zone defense, which is obviously a a lot easier physically because you're not asking guys to fight through screens and you're not asking guys to cover a lot of ground. They're just responsible for an area on the floor. And generally speaking, you're willing to give up driving lanes because there's someone behind you. And the, the, the problem with it, though, as you saw, was, and I'm sure you saw this when you checked in in the third quarter, the Knicks just flat out solved it. And the big part that they figured out was if they rotated the ball on the perimeter, the weak side corner would mm-hmm. eventually be wide open for a back cut. And you saw Obi OB Toppin get a bunch of dunks out of that. And then they were also starting to get some really high quality three point looks out of it as well. The point is, is the zone is janky. The zone is janky. It's gimmicky. It's not going to work. The zone has to go. If You're going to use the zone. It needs to be in very short spurts, two or three possessions, or maybe after a made free throw here or there just to confuse the other team. But it cannot be your bread and butter. It cannot be a thing. You run seven, eight possessions in a row because guys are going to solve it. The switching defense is a thing that you can actually run consistently. Everyone says we don't have the defenders at the point of attack to run a switching defense. That's true. But we also don't have the defenders at the point of attack to run a traditional drop coverage or any other traditional man-to-man defense. The switching defense, at the very least, even if it does give up matchups that will hurt the team, at the very least, it stagnates the other team. At the very least, it turns them into an isolation team. At the very least, you can offer help on the backside and hope that your rotations on the back end will cover for some of that ground. I think they need to go into more switching and less zone and, and kind of do what the Houston Rockets did in 2018 switch every single day for the rest of the season. And by the time the playoffs come, you'll be very good at it. They, the, 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 the Houston Rockets ran that defense strictly to be prepared for that Western conference finals matchup and it damn near worked. That wasn't, they weren't running it for the regular season. They weren't running it for a first round matchup or a second round matchup. It was strictly a game plan for the Warriors it was strictly a game plan for the postseason. And that's kind of the way that I look at this. They're going to have to switch because they don't have the personnel to run anything else. Lean heavily into it now. Get good at it. And then maybe that can be something you can lean on like the Brooklyn Nets last year to defend well enough so that your your offense can carry you in the big moments.
1: Well, I mean, to be honest, they might just not have the personnel for a good defense. Like just like with, with what I'm watching I might agree with you like switching might be the answer but again there's other issues with that to me you can't switch with like two to three players that are unswitchable you know what i mean like you can't switch with Carmelo and Malik Monk and Wayne Ellington on the floor and AD as your back as as the only center right? like there's it it causes way too many problems we went to AD at the five a lot tonight i thought they hunted Malik Monk i thought they hunted Carmelo Anthony uh, in that second half our defense did pick up I don't like, like, a lot of people say go to that zone, and it's a nice switch up. I just think NBA teams are too good to run that too consistently. To me, a zone is kind of like you're not forfeiting, but you're kind of showing that you can't defend. And as if the zone's the only way they they compete and they give effort, like, to me, that's another issue in and of, it's of itself. Like, I don't like the zone look. That's not something you can build an identity with it. And it's also something our coach, obviously, is very much against. Frank Vogel came out against the zone. And it's just not a way that he likes to run. We have to find some way to play. And maybe, again, it's just personnel. We're playing a lot of guys, to me, where it's a lot of trade-off basketball. And that's where this team is. This team might just be a 500 team right now. Like that's That might just be how good they are right now. They're going to win and lose some back and forth. Russell Westbrook, put him back in the game again tonight. We'll see how many times he can do that. But with the defense... I don't really see an answer here. And this is why to me Vogel is starting Avery Bradley and I know that drives people crazy. It's starting DeAndre Jordan, who might not have a job in the NBA if it wasn't for this team. It's just an archetype of defense that he likes. And I think he would rather, you know, have a guard kill you in the mid range or a guard scoring over DeAndre Jordan than being able to get picked on or have Anthony Davis at the top of the key. So I I don't really know where we go with this until I guess LeBron comes back. LeBron needs to be the defensive kind of he needs to play at an all-defense level, and is that realistic? So, I'm not really sure where we go with this team, man. Is this the team I, I thought? Dom and, uh who's uh, one of the one of our friends, uh, he said something interesting. Is this the team that gets down 25, or is this the team that came back? And I think they're both right. They're, this team is both. They're, they're both, yeah. And again, like blaming this on, I keep harping back on this. I know we don't want to talk about Frank Vogel very much, and those, those will, the Frank Vogel rumors and stuff will continue to get louder. But like to me, I. I don't know. I I can't see Russ who's been a coach under Frank who's been coached by Frank Vogel less than a couple months um just already already going into the yeah, I can't play for this coach. You, you know what I mean? Like that's and we have a bunch of new players on this team where it's Frank Vogel's first time coaching them as well. I think 10 out of the third, 10 out of the 14 new players or something are new. Like so like that's where that's where the separation to me is in the in the Frank Vogels lost the team. He has barely coached this team like this. He's coached AD and LeBron and maybe losing them is everything. But like that, that's where I can't get to that. They're just, they just suck because of they're not buying it. That that's where I can't jump to uh, if you know what I mean. But yeah, with the D go ahead.
0: It's, it's, it's a combination of three factors. And this is something that I've preached about this entire season. It's, 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 it's three factors equally. Sure. it's, the it's the inability for of frank to be able to understand modern offensive concepts well enough to put these guys in position to succeed because again that's that's one of the little pieces of the pie because again if you look the lakers are a bottom third offense yeah and regardless of what you want to say about personnel and regardless of what you want to say about effort, there, there's a lot of, of offensive talent on the floor for the Lakers. That's not where the talent shortcomings are. Mm-hmm. And they still can't score. They still can't score. So to me, that is indicative of a coach that doesn't understand how to use his offensive personnel. And then the second little chunk of the pie chart is that buy-in concept that we talked about, which we're, we won't get too far into. But for whatever reason, if you're, if you're ranking – you know, the, the, the willingness of, of these players, these stars, these role players to do the job, the coach is asking them to do. They're very low in the league in terms of their buy-in. Okay. So that's the, those are, that's two of the three pieces. And I would argue both of those are associated directly to Frank. Now that doesn't mean that the players don't share blame for the effort, but they, but for whatever reason, Frank is an, able to get that out of it. and then the third piece of the chart is the third piece of the chart is personnel they 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 have personnel shortcomings they they have a lack of forwards they have a lack of um, um they have a lack of of defensive personnel guys who are willing on their own volition to do the defensive job that's a whole other issue that you can't put on frank that i agree with but the other two-thirds you can't and you know here's the thing with the De- deandre jordan thing and i think we've gotten to the point now where this absolutely has to be mm-hmm. said okay De- Frank plays DeAndre Jordan for two reasons. He believes it improves them defensively. He believes it helps them with defensive rebounds. Even though the numbers don't match, yeah, I, the numbers very clearly state the exact sure. opposite. With the with DeAndre on the floor, with LeBron, Russ, and Anthony Davis, they rebound less than a thir- uh, they rebound less than two thirds of of, uh, of opponents' misses. That would rank dead last in the league. With DeAndre Jordan on the floor and with LeBron, AD, and Russ they give up about 115 points per 100 possessions. That would rank dead last in the league. So I I in the film matches it. So I honest to God, don't know what he's thinking. It's like a it's it's a concept that's in his brain that doesn't match up with what's happening on the court. And to me that's an indictment of him in his ability to bring the best out of this group. And I, and I don't understand how that keeps getting glossed over in all of this because, it, because it, it, and it goes even a step further, even beyond the defensive rebounding, even beyond the defensive end. They get run off the damn floor every time in transition because the, over, the overall foot speed of the lineup is too slow. And so, like, if you're spotting a team 12 minutes like that every night, it's no wonder they get off to a bad start. And then the guys don't believe in what Frank's doing. And then the effort tanks. And then they find themselves down by 20 or 30 points. And then suddenly they give a shit and suddenly without DJ on the floor, they go on a run. Now tonight they actually did go play well with DJ on the floor in the second half, but that was largely because of effort. It was just, they, they finally turned it up. And the Knicks let their foot off the gas because they thought the Lakers had quit. But at the, but that, that D, the DeAndre Jordan thing to me is like the
1: final nail in that coffin. It, I, I don't know how you move on from that. I think part of the DeAndre Jordan thing too, that we don't discuss enough AD wants to start at power forward. Like, that's clear, right? You would agree with that? Like, AD, if it was his preference, if it's a perfect world, if he made all the choices, he likes starting at power forward. That's very clear. I think that's also part of it. Vogel likes the too big, and I think it matches what his second superstar wants. His second superstar wants to start at power forward. AD has talked about how more comfortable that is. He's talked about the rigors of starting at center, even though, you know, you talk about the benefits of it, um, even to him physically. But he obviously feels the guy who's out there playing basketball, the guy who's actually out there playing 35 minutes a game, he feels starting at power forward helps in whatever way. Secondly, with the the Vogel offense thing, here's my question. So in Oklahoma City, in 2000, whenever they went to the finals that first time, their coach was Scott Brooks, right? Am I have, do I have that right? I believe they were, they were yes. coached by Scott Brooks. And everyone was like, wondering, telling Scott Brooks, you need to change your late-game offense. It's all just Kevin Durant, ISO. It's all Russell Westbrook, ISOs, right? You remember that that moment? And then they brought yes. in Billy Donovan, right? Brought, who's now, I believe, the coach of the Chicago Bulls, doing a great job with the Chicago Bulls. They brought, they brought in Billy Donovan, and what happened? It was the same late-game offense. Same thing, Russell Westbrook. Got to do what he wanted, and he went to KD and got to do what he wanted. To me, this is like offensive. Yes, there's complications. There's better offensive coaches. There's stuff, there's things you can do. There's more off ball actions that I would like to see. But to me, this like to me, this is a Russell Westbrook fit, trying to fit him into the offense type of situation. Like flying Frank Vogel to me, bringing in a new guy is a new guy going to be able to set up a whole new offensive system in the middle of the season with LeBron missing the games that he does. Like we're lucky right now, Russ and AD are healthy. Like that's. My, I'm not like a Frank Vogel super apologist where I think Frank Vogel is the best coach or, you know, he's some amazing coach. I think that's my whole point. I think you kind of lost me there, but like, that's, that's my whole point there is like to me bringing a new coach brings in other issues. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: The late game offense is separate from the the rest of the game, in my opinion, because for starters, late game offense, there's a reason why it devolves into isolation basketball. And there's a reason why it devolves into letting the stars run the show. And it's because of the fact that in general, it takes on a playoff like nature. Okay. The reason why in the playoffs switching works so well, the reason why in the playoffs, the guys that are able to attack matchups do so well is because when defenses are really dialed in, they can shut down just about any action. There's no sophisticated way to X's and O's your way to quality looks at the end of games against the top tier defenses when they're really dialed in. So from that standpoint, like I, the reason why Billy Donovan couldn't convince Russ and KD to do better in crunch time is because you can run the best pick and roll. You can run the best, you know, off-ball action. You can run whatever in the world you want to run. They're just going to switch everything. And at the end of the day, it's going to come down to, can Russ create an advantage against this guy in isolation? Can Kevin Durant create an advantage? And and so that's just the reality of late-game offense. The reason why I think it's so important in the beginning of the game, or the rest of the game, I should say, is because it has to do with confidence and comfort and bringing the best out of your players. So I think we can all agree that Russ... LeBron and A.D. could all be better offensively than they have been this season. I think we can all agree with that. Anthony Davis is several levels below what he was in the bubble in terms of a versatile three-level score. The dude basically doesn't have a three-point shot anymore. Okay. Russell, <clears throat> Russell Westbrook has his own slew of offensive issues. And then... <clears throat> LeBron, his percentages are down across the board. Now, a lot of that has to do with him getting cut out of that game early. A lot of that has to do with him trying to fit in Russ, and a lot of that has to do with injuries. So I don't want to over get into that. But the point is, with this group, with all the shooting that they have, you should be able to bring the best out of these guys offensively. And to me, that starts with, from the opening tip, letting them, allowing them, setting them up to feel comfortable, so that they feel confident, so that throughout the game, they're in a rhythm and they play their best basketball. That's where the X's and O's come in. That's where running sets matters. That's where stopping that's where getting away from the offense where you just dump it into the post to AD every single time or dump it in the post to LeBron every single time or ask uh, ask Russ to cave in the defense by just putting his head down and getting to the rim, that's where that doesn't work. When you're when you're when you're asking those guys to do that, inevitably that's easier to guard. It's harder to guard at the end of games in crunch time. LeBron and AD and Russ and their athleticism will overpower teams in crunch time. But at the, if, in the, throughout the rest of the game, you've got to find a way to get them easier looks. You've got to find a way to get everybody easier looks. And to me, Frank has shown that he's basically incapable of doing that. And, 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 you know, I think the guys from LFR talked about this on their last pod, and it's something that I'm such a huge believer in. When you ask someone to do a scheme and you ask them to do a dirty job, and it works, you're more willing to do it. For instance, if you have a day job, a nine to five, and you show up and your boss tells you, hey, if you do X, Y, Z for me, you're gonna get a raise. If you do X, Y, Z for me, you're gonna get a promotion. And you do it and you get the promotion, it all feels worth it. And you're willing to continue those habits. But what if you do all those things and the raise doesn't come? What if you do all those things and you don't get the promotion? All of a sudden, you're gonna buy back out. You're gonna disconnect again and you're gonna stop caring. And that's the problem with this. In 2020, Frank asked these guys to do a job, and it was a hard job. It was a dirty job. And when they did it, they went 24-3 and to start the season. And so every single guy on the team was bought into the concept. They believed in it, and they were willing to do it. This season, Frank tried to run the same scheme with some players that were physically incapable of doing it. When, When he did so, they lost a lot of games. Now, obviously, there were other factors at play there, and I'm not trying to gloss over that. But the point is that 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 concept there is what has this team not bought in. They don't they don't believe in what they're doing because they don't see it working. And so in a lot, a large part of that is there they made a shift in personnel to offensive minded personnel and the offense sucks. So when you have offensive minded personnel and the offense sucks, you're going to lose games. Guys aren't going to believe in what they're being asked to do if this team was scoring a million points and was top 5 in offense which they absolutely should be with LeBron AB and Russ on the roster and with all of this shooting if they were top 5 in offense they'd be sitting with a much better record and they'd be much more willing to do the job that they're being asked to do because they would believe in it they'd be bought into the head coach and it would be it would be that same culture building that you're seeing from all these good teams like the Suns and Warriors this year and that you saw from the Lakers back in 2020 so from that standpoint I just I just think getting someone in the door that has the ability to maximize this offense mm-hmm. at the very least will allow them to do what Brooklyn did, which is defend well enough to win, which they absolutely can't. This team will defend better than that Brooklyn team because they'll have LeBron and AD on the floor. But they've got to get to the point where they believe in what they're doing, and right now they don't.
1: Yeah, and, and it doesn't matter what I think or how – I feel about it. Like, I can kind of see the writing on the wall. It just feels like this is where it's going to get to. This is just how the NBA works. The coach gets the, even if it's right or wrong, he gets the he gets the first ax, right? The coach is cut first. But to me, like, yeah, anyone can do stuff when things are going well, right? Like, that's not the point about this. LeBron and AD know this works. Even if the personnel is kind of janky, even if the personnel is not working, I haven't seen, like, this comes from the top down, right? This should be leadership. That's the whole point of your superstar players. They're supposed to be bought in first right how many games have you seen lebron defend this year and again i said it's not fair that he has to be the defensive guy this year that's just what it is like he has to be that anthony davis as well i think his effort has gone up in the last few games but to start the season it wasn't it wasn't defensive player of the year type of stuff that he can do so again this might just lead to vogel getting fired and we get a new guy in to me like that's a band-aid to a, a bigger issue that we have and the offense It's ugly. Frank Vogel's offense has never been pretty. You talked about it a lot over the summer. LeBron has the key. LeBron has the keys to the offense. LeBron has LeBron runs the offense, and Vogel runs the defense. And you talked about how beautiful of kind of a partnership that is, right? You have a guy, a offensive genius in LeBron, and and they say, look, people have said that David Fizdale actually runs a lot of the offense. But I mean, the post up offense isn't great. But also like Frank it's not Frank Vogel's problem like double teams is what's coming to a d and it's not his problem that AD's not a good passer out of double teams and we'd like to see more pick and roll but you' are telling me if Russ and a d to Russ and a d come to vogel and like hey we want we want to spread pick and roll he's gonna say no, run a post up like that's that's the kind of like I'm trying to get deeper into the conversations there like I feel like it's too easy just to just be like, yeah, the coach is telling them run a post up every play or the co- the coach doesn't have any complicated actions that's. Sh- that's sure, like, that, that, can be, that can be true. But, I like, I was there at the Minnesota game where we went to 80 at the five and spread around with shooters. We got destroyed defensively because we just don't have the guards that can keep up. There's a balance that Vogel's trying to play, and I, and I feel for him there. But, like, that's where I'm at here. I, like, maybe bringing a new guy helps. I just think that's a bad process to get to the result. Even if it gets the result we want, that's just not the good process to get to it. But it looks like the writing's on the wall. It looks like that that's what we're going to get. I just – I'm not sure that solves – the main issues maybe that solves it for like a couple of weeks and then and then maybe they're back to you know giving the effort that they want to playing 500 basketball i just i just don't think that's secure in the middle of the season but we've kind of gone on that for for way too long probably
0: yeah like i said if you guys want to hear a deeper dive into the frank vogel thing just listen to our last episode i was curious raj what have you what have you thought about tht's
1: massive fall off over the last three games man uh such a such a stark difference right from the from the first podcast we did on tht after his three games i think teams are starting to really scout him um he's he's still not confident enough with his jumper to me like it looks better it looks cleaner but he's not confident with it when the ball swings to him he has to be wide open to shoot it and that's just not going to work right now especially with the spacing spacing issues that we have if he's on the floor next to Russ and AD he, and Avery Bradley, to be honest, like he has to be willing to shoot. He has to be a shooter. Uh, he can't be a guy that's also – like he can't be Russ, right? He can't be a guy that just can't shoot. We have one guy in Russ already like that. Avery Bradley is another guy that has to be kind of open to shoot. THD can't be in that. Teams have scouted him very well. Teams are ready for the drive every single time, and his finishes are becoming more and more wild. Uh, he's still kind of a good passer out of it, but I, I think I saw he's like three for – three for 20 or something the last three games just it's really dropped off again like it's another thing is THC the guy in those first three games or the THC this guy probably somewhere in between right like he's probably not this probably (laughs) not this bad and he's probably not that good yet 20 years old you're gonna get fluctuating games that's just how it is he's just on a good team where him being bad actually like impacts impacts the team a lot more you know like on a bad team he can lose and it's fine but on this team that's trying to win every single night when you have he, he can't afford to have the games that he's having he has to have some kind of impact especially um, even if he's not starting he's playing a lot of minutes Uh, we need him to be impactful but yeah it's been it's been a really tough stretch for him I expect him to turn around but he needs to start shooting like he can't be a guy that teams can just lay off of like they are right now
0: yeah I think shot selection has been a big part of it this is something that I preach about a lot I used to talk about a lot with Kyle Kuzma and then I talked a lot about with Anthony Davis early in the season one of the reasons why I think Anthony Davis has been so much better as of late is he's gone away from the super difficult shots at the beginning of the game. Uh that's that's to me has been abundantly clear. He's made a, a concerted effort to get higher quality shots closer to the mm-hmm. rim early in the game to build his rhythm. So THT comes in and a couple of I think they lost each of his first three, right? Or they lost two or three. I can't remember, but they were losing. They beat the Spurs. So uh, it, they it they beat really, Spurs. I think yeah. That's right. That's right. So they were two they were one and two in those in those three games that he averaged over 20 points or whatever. And the, the reality was, is he was taking and making a lot of difficult shots in, in that game, uh, in those games. So the reality is, is like, he kind of tricked himself into thinking that that's good process when it's really not, you know, especially with this group, with all the talent that he's playing with, he needs to kind of adopt that approach that I was constantly preaching with Kyle Kuzma. Let the game come, come to you, make sure your first couple shots are good. And then from there, you'll have a better opportunity to feel confident and then go to your one-legged fadeaway. Then go to your step-back three when you feel comfortable and when you feel confident. It's like, you know, it's impossible for a shooter to get out of their own head. That's just the reality of it. A jump shot is a total mind F, for lack of a better term. You're going to miss a lot. And so from that standpoint, it's really, really hard for shooters to contextualize misses. So if you go into a game and you take your first three shots are – you know, one open three, but the other two are a step back three and a one-legged fadeaway from 10 feet, the reality is, is in your head, you're going to tell yourself, oh, I just don't have it tonight. And it's like, okay, do you actually not have it tonight? Or are you taking bad shots? You know what I mean? And, and from that standpoint, it's like, if, if you, if your first three shots are good process and they're balanced and you're open, then you can at least, you're probably going to make two or three of them. And then from there, you go into the rest of the game feeling comfortable, feeling confident, feeling good about yourself. With this group, too, he doesn't need to take as many of those extremely tough shots. Now, tonight, he was in the predicament of no LeBron, which obviously adds a whole other element of offensive creation need in his role. But with LeBron in Detroit, he was doing the same thing. A lot of forcing the ball into crowds of people around the basket and a lot of tough shots. So with him, he's young. it's so hard we got, we got to remember he turns 21, literally, I think in two days. So we've got to, we've got to contextualize this as a guy who has a lot of growing to do as a basketball player. Um, But the reality is, is what he, what he did is he tried to continue a bad process from his first three games into his next three Mm -hmm. games. And you add in, uh, and and you add in the circumstances surrounding LeBron, and this is what you get. Um, Obviously, I don't think, Uh, I think, I think there's been some fluctuation with his role too. Like you, you, you go from not playing basketball at all since the sun series, uh, you know, at least NBA basketball, NBA regular season, meaningful basketball to suddenly you're in a game with no LeBron where you're given a lot of a green light to suddenly LeBron's back and you're starting. And then suddenly it's, we're in Detroit and we're going back to Deandre Jordan. Now you're coming off the bench. Oh, and then now LeBron's gone again. So he's had a massively fluctuating role here over his first couple weeks back. So that's the the other bone that I would toss him. It's just some some consistency, some some sort of chemistry that he could build in a consistent rotation pattern would go a long way, I think, to helping him feel more comfortable. Um I'm still a believer in what he can do. Like you said, the the reality's somewhere in the mm-hmm. middle. Um, the The reason why I asked you about that, I hopped on um, uh, uh, spaces before the game to talk about this concept. And I was curious on your opinion. There was a proposed trade (laughs) that was thrown around having to do with Jeremy Grant Mm -hmm. with the Detroit Pistons. So the the way that this would inevitably end up looking with salary matching is it would basically be centered around um, THT and Kendrick Nunn for Jeremy Grant. So I am a huge proponent of that trade If the Lakers nearing the trade deadline are trending towards looking like a bona fide, that's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. But if they're if the wheels are coming off and they're 23 and 17, I'm against it. So I wanted to I wanted to hear your before I get too far (laughs) further in it, giving my opinion. I was curious what you thought about that proposed
1: trade. Yeah, like well, just to close on the Tht point, he's such a rhythm player, right? And he needs the basketball in his hands, which is kind of counterintuitive to this team like he's gonna have to work off the ball but just right now his skill set is totally everything basketball in his is in his hands running ball screen actions where he's the one controlling there's a lot of stuff right now where he's just in the corner it's like Malik Monk running actions or Russ running actions and you talked about him playing with LeBron tonight was LeBron was obviously out but just a lot of that and, and he's getting comfortable with that I'll give him time you you said it right there to me it's the what's the team looking like in February like if they're looking like a title contender if they're looking like they're ready to compete then yeah then you know make that move it's just to me trading THT for a minimal kind of like to me Jeremy Grant is not the difference between a team that's 500 and then going to a title you know like would you kind of agree with that like Jeremy Grant doesn't change you from a middling 500 team to a title contender like that that's not the jump to me you get with Jeremy Grant uh, the other rumor I guess was also Miles Turner uh, but yeah with Jeremy Grant like that's my position on it I think Talon has shown enough to me where you know you don't trade him unless I at least right now we'll see how the season kind of progresses but for me right now like Talon has shown too much to me to where like I don't want to trade him until we kind of see what this season is uh, before we get get to that point Would you, are you on that are you on that path as well
0: yeah. So, you know, first of all, I'm higher on Jeremy Grant than everyone else in terms of the role the, you know, what people keep forgetting is, you know, I've had, I've heard a lot of people bring up his shooting percentages in Detroit. Who the hell cares about his shooting percentages in Detroit? That shot profile will not even remotely resemble his shot profile. With no, he's like, an amazing fit. You know fit. what I mean? Yeah. And then, yeah, the, the fit to me is a, is a no brainer. You know, the, the, the key to running AD at the five is having players in that six, five to six, eight range who can defend multiple positions, either up a position or down a position and on the offensive end, don't hurt your spacing, you know? And that's where it helped having a Kyle Kuzma. You know what I mean? That's where it helped having an Alex Caruso. That's where it helped having the KCP, even though he's a little smaller, but you know, the point is, is like when you, you, when you have those guys, those hybrid guys, those wing guys, they are what make 80 at the five work. One of the big reasons why 80 at the five has struggled this year is LeBron's been out. So it's been a lot of guards and a lot of Carmelo Anthony. And that's just that you're putting too much physical responsibility on guys that are physically incapable of doing it. Now, in terms of the trade, there's a couple, there's a basic basketball philosophy that we all have to come to terms with. Okay. And it's the, it's the reality of the Anthony Davis trade. It's kind of, it kind of sucks to watch Lonzo ball
1: succeed. You're telling in me, Chicago. I mean, you're
0: happy for, you're happy for Lonzo, but it sucks as a Laker fan, when you remember what it was like when he was with you, it sucks watching Josh Hart turn into a solid role player. It sucks watching... i was have always been super high on Brandon Ingram. I think he's more number two than number one, but I think he is the closest thing we have to a modern-day Kobe Bryant in the terms of the way, he, um, uh, the way he structurally puts his offensive game together as a three-level scorer. I love those guys, but I understood the obvious gamble when you put your chips in for anthony davis there was a chance that was going to fail there was a chance ad got hurt or lebron got hurt or for whatever reason they lost in the bubble and you have no title that is the game that's gambling that's what it looks like in real life when you when you make a big sports bet you know like that that's just that's that's the reality of of of, of you can't have any you can't win anything if you're not willing to risk anything in a lot of ways. And that's what the whole LeBron James experience has been like for the Lakers. When you brought LeBron on, you understood there'd be a certain amount of chaos, a certain amount of turnover, but you, you have the potential to win an NBA championship. That's the way I look at this Jeremy Grant thing. You have to understand that there's a chance that you could be sitting, you, they could go on a 15 game win streak, be sitting in really good shape, trade THT for Jeremy Grant and be make a run for the title and come up short And the next season you're watching THT look like an all-star with the Detroit Pistons. That is a potential outcome. That is something that could happen here. That's the game. But the flip side of that is look at how talented the top of the league is. I'm not trying to denigrate the Lakers 2020 NBA title, but I'm sorry that Miami heat team nowhere near as good as this Miami heat team from this season, that Denver nuggets team, not even in the same stratosphere of this Golden State Warriors team. This Phoenix Suns team, not even in the same stratosphere as the Houston Rockets. This year is going to be tougher. Your margin of error is smaller. You're going to find yourself in a game five against Phoenix or against Golden State, and you're going to be staring across the line at uh, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, Andrew Wiggins, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry. That is going to be an extremely difficult game to win on the road in golden state. Do you like your chances more? If the lineup is LeBron AD and Jeremy grant with Russ and one of the good guards, or if it's two kind of iffy players in that lineup, or maybe it's Trevor Ariza who doesn't do anything as well as Jeremy grant does it in that spot. And that's, that's the way you got to look at this. It's a basic philosophy. You have – if you cling to multiple – and the same goes for the Warriors. What if the Warriors lose to the Lakers in game five and lose the series, but hey, they got James Wise, Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga. Like that's, that's the, the, the curse and the blessing of having young talent and right now talent at the same time. You have to toe that line. You have to make that decision. Am I willing to risk it all? and potentially have to watch those guys succeed elsewhere to get the Larry O'Brien trophy. That's that to me is the risk. And for the record, LeBron and AD might be enough right now to do it without making a move. They might, but uh, although right now it doesn't look like, look like it. And then really quickly, the last thing I'll say is in the bubble, LeBron was the best player in the world. And Anthony Davis looked like he might've been the second best player in the world somewhere else in the top five. Maybe right now, Anthony Davis looks more like the 10th best player in the world. And right now, LeBron James looks more like the seventh or eighth best player in the world. So that that same yeah, – they, they both might, through rhythm, get back to where they were in the bubble. I certainly hope they do, and I kind of believe they will. But that's not guaranteed. The margin for error is different this year. And so as much as I love THT, and I, I genuinely believe he'll be an all-star one, a fringe all-star. Somewhere in the, the – a guy that – not an MVP candidate, but an all-star. I, I genuinely believe that, but – you straddling that line more often than not will leave you unsatisfied
1: yeah and uh, you know you don't have to push me too hard to compliment Brandon Ingram I feel like me and a few other people were the first people <laughs> to uh to put our flag down on Ingram Island and what's going on over there is is kind of sad for him but look Anthony Davis is Anthony freaking Davis like I you understood that look the Lakers overpay maybe but you do that for a title and I'm of the belief if you have a chance to win you go all in like that's just what you're supposed to do that's the whole point of all this the whole point of this is to win there is lines to draw that like this is the GM's decision no this is on this is Rob palinka's job to kind of decide where that where that line crosses Jeremy Grant again to me a great player he was one of the best players to me that defended LeBron and AD in the whole bubble like I thought he was great on them and that that Denver series to me is a lot closer than people remember uh just because it did end in 5 look like, you talked about the teams who are good right now compared to those in the bubble Golden State Warriors, maybe that's one. But look, the Milwaukee Bucks ran through the regular season. They got beat by the Miami Heat fair and square. You can joke about the bubble. Miami Heat beat them. That's the team the Lakers beat. That's just, there's good teams every year. I think the Lakers, like, were the was it was the league bad or the Lakers just really dominant in that run? 16-5 and five is 16-5. and five. You can qualm about the teams that they played, but I don't really want to go back and forth on that. Talon or Jeremy Grant, that's such a that's such a tough thing to get to. It's funny if you look at the Lakers account today, I think they tweeted something like invest in the future with uh, Taalen, uh with Taalen shooting around. I thought that was kind of funny with the with the rumors swirling, but it's a tough line to draw. But to me, if the Lakers are close enough, they look like real title contenders and uh let's say like THTs in the rotation, but it looks like Uh, They've kind of found something with Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk and they found a rotation that like maybe he can go somewhere else and they'd be fine. They have enough ball handling off the bench to score and you can trade that for Jeremy Grant. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Do that. Make Win now moves is the whole point of the LeBron era. Like you're here to win. You got one already. Like this is the whole point of it. We'll see what happens after. But the whole point is to win now. And the Jeremy Grant move would be a sign of that. Just in my opinion, I want to see the team processing upwards enough to, to get there like to me again Jeremy Grant
0: exactly don't go down with the it, ship you, you don't go down with the ship you read the cards because they can't trade to, they can't trade THC right now anyway with the terms of his contract I think you have to wait till December so you, you make the read at the time sure. don't go down with the ship but if it looks like the ship has a chance exactly don't hold your car, don't hold your chips. Either. If
1: it has a chance, yeah. But I mean, I've seen stuff like this again. I'm not comparing Jeremy Grant to Mike Muscala. That's not fair. Like Jeremy Grant's a hundred times way better. But I just remember we traded Zubac for like Ivija uh, Zubac, who's now the starting center for the LA Clippers and one of the best rim protecting bigs in the league and one of the best contracts in the league. Yada yada yada. Um, for you know Mike Muscala, who was a Laker for a little while. And Jeremy Grant's 27. It's not like you know he's a he's an old player as well. Like if you can get. But to me, right now, like, would the Pistons take THT for Jeremy Grant? Like, I don't, like, I don't think they've seen enough from THT to trade their, you know, guy that they invested in a couple seasons ago. So there's the two sides to this. I think THT has to show a little more to get to that Jeremy Grant level as well. Uh, but like, yeah. Oh, I
0: think Detroit would take THT in a heartbeat. Oh, okay. But I mean, that, it's irrelevant. I, I, I think, I think the Jeremy Grant move was fine, but I don't think, I don't think Detroit views the, him as part of their future. Sure. But I mean, obviously, I don't have voices in the in yeah, the front office. I, yeah, like that's fair. Sense.
1: And look, Jeremy Grant, uh, it, the the Pistons aren't close to anywhere where they need to care about you know winning and all that. They they just got the number one pick and trying to build around him. And how I, I don't want to get into how Cade and THD fit. That's for a Pistons kind of podcast. But uh, but yeah, that, that's where I'm at with it. If they can show our process that they're going up, then yeah, go ahead, uh, do a win now move. But I just don't think Jeremy Grant changes a 500 team to a uh, to a title contender and. And this team, like LeBron's played what eight games, nine games now. Like we haven't seen this team yet. That's the positive. That's the positive here, I guess. Uh, but but yeah, I don't I don't know where else to go with that. That's it's a it's a tough decision. We haven't
0: seen. You're right. We haven't we haven't seen LeBron and AD in a lineup with another forward mm-hmm. yet. And the reality is, is their most successful lineups in the championship season involved forward uh, a forward usually either someone like Alex Crusoe or someone like Kyle Kuzma. You know, Alex Caruso isn't traditionally viewed as a forward. He's viewed as a guard, but he could guard forwards, and he played like a forward. He rebounded like a forward. He had a physical presence on the floor like a forward. So you're right. It's hard to 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 draw too much. But this is the other thing. Like fundamentally, let's let's pretend they come back and they have Trevor Ariza, mm-hmm. and it look and it looks good. Sure. Do you, do you feel comfortable going on a playoff run where you're going to have to play 20, 25 games of high, high, high intensity intensity basketball? With the only forwards you can play being LeBron, Trevor Ariza, and whatever you can get out of Carmelo Anthony, or would you feel more comfortable if that was Ariza and then someone like Jeremy Grant and LeBron and Carmelo Anthony? To me, that just changed. it. It it uh, it gives you margin for care in mm-hmm. that regard. Yeah, you know, and and because like this is there's a reason why the Lakers have been so incredibly shorthanded. It's because dropping Ariza was enough to put them behind the eight ball. Then when you lose LeBron for half the season, now you have nobody. That's that's the lack of depth
1: rearing its ugly head. Sure, and also Reeves being out, I think is big shockingly with the, with the team that's that's playing Reeves. And I think even Vogel mentioned that he's trying to just find defensive lineups until Trevor Ariza gets back. So obviously he believes Reeves is a big part of this defense, and maybe that's you know not that's not the smart <laughs> the smart thing to hope for from a thirty six year old. Uh, but we'll see when when Ariza gets back. They, they need a power forward. Carmelo's still playing way too many minutes, and God bless Carmelo, who's been who's been great. I think he was like three for fourteen tonight, but hit some big threes. Uh, just can't defend enough to me. We can't find like you talked about the team needs to need, the team needs to find a defensive identity. Like to me, there's not enough defensive minded players to to get to that until we get whole here. And maybe they won't get there when they're even whole, but like we need to at least see that Kendrick Nunn, Austin Reeves, Trevor Ariza, LeBron has to play at a defensive level for this team to, to raise above water. Cause I just, I think they're going to be a 500 team until we we get those guys back.
0: Yeah. 500% agree. All right, guys, we're going to call it a night. So the, the tomorrow's a little funky cause it's a tail end of the back to back. I have my season opener for the high school team that I'm coaching. So I will not be able to watch the game live, but Raj is still going to watch the game and he's going to host the post game spaces. We plan on taking a lot of callers, yep tomorrow night and then i'll be able to join about halfway through the show obviously i'm not going to be able to offer much because i didn't i will will not have watched the game at that point but i'll come hang out with you guys bring your questions bring your rants raj is going to be holding the space right after the game ends i think it tips off at uh four o'clock uh pacific standard time so it's a, a good early start i should be joining you know towards the end of the show but again from the bottom of my heart i sincerely appreciate all of you guys for supporting us uh and coming to hang out we sincerely appreciate it. this is gonna air on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at seven AM and it will be on our podcast feed here in about a half hour. That's under State of the Lakers. Thank you guys so much and have a good night. Appreciate it, everyone. Thanks.